This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We're going to do what we promised to do on last week's show and talk to a couple of our, of our uh, most favorite correspondents. Dr. Andy Jones will talk a little bit about the famous William Butler Yeats poem, The Second Coming, which we're sure that'll be worth hearing. And we hope also to go back to Los Angeles to talk to our uh, investigative journalist friend, Lisa Pease. However, Lisa may have been distracted by a bill passed in the Assembly uh, earlier this week, and we don't know whether we're going to be able to get her or not. But I promise you at some point she will talk about the topic at hand, which was the passing of Nellie Conley, the last uh, person uh, alive who was in the limousine that day back in Dallas when John Kennedy was assassinated. Well, we will deal with the topic today with or without Lisa, hopefully with. Let us commence the show as we like to do with uh, On This Date in History, which is September 14th. On this date in 1752, British subjects turned their clock 11 days ahead as Great Britain switched from the old Julian calendar to the Gregorian one. So it would have been September 3rd, 1752, then became September 14th, 1752. This uh, correction was, of course, long overdue from the old Julian calendar, which, uh, you know, was slightly off century in and century out. If my memory serves me correct, George Washington, who was by the old Julian calendar born on February 11th, then saw his birthday switch to February 22nd, which is currently the day we celebrate as Washington's birthday. Other nations were slower to adopt the calendar. In fact, Russia didn't adopt it until the 20th century, which creates the historical oddity of the October Revolution, actually having started in November of 1917. In a follow-up to last week's uh, program, at least last week's This Date in History, on September 14, 1812, Napoleon Bonaparte and his army entered Moscow to find the capital city deserted and its larders bare. Later that night, fires broke out and in three days destroyed most of the city, leading to his disastrous retreat back to France. And on this date, September 14, 1960, in an attempt to stabilize oil prices and unify oil policies, five oil-rich nations met in Baghdad to form the Organization of the Petroleum Exporting Countries. OPEC would develop into one of the world's most influential organizations. All right, our quote of the day comes from a bumper sticker. In fact, it came off a bumper sticker on the back of my car, which says, Iraq is Arabic for Vietnam. Our joke of the day comes from Rodney Dangerfield. We had a few left over from last week, which went as follows. The other day I was making love to this girl and she started crying. I said, are you going to hate yourself in the morning? You said, no, I hate myself now. Our statistic of the day comes from federal regulators, as quoted the New York Times. They noted that people who drive SUVs are 11% more likely to die in accidents than people who drive cars. That's because many SUVs are more likely to roll over in an accident. All right, let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. Let's go. 
According to The Week magazine, last week was a good week for teaching civic responsibility after toy maker Mattel unveiled Tanner, Barbie's new pet dog. Tanner can be fed little brown plastic biscuits, which he then defecates so that Barbie can scoop them up using her new magnetic pooper scooper. And no, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not making that up. Conversely, the magazine rated last week a bad week for 50 passengers bound for Winnipeg who watched for 10 worried minutes as the pilot of an Air Canada flight banged on the cockpit door after locking himself out during a bathroom break. The crew finally took the door off its hinges and the pilot then safely landed the plane. Again, I'm I'm not making this one up. There was a there was a phony story on the web about an Air Zimbabwe flight where this uh, this supposedly happened, but I think this one's the real deal. Apparently, they were actually fairly close to to, to to coming into land too when this happened. And last week, evidently, was an ugly week for wildlife conservation, when in the northern Australian coast of Queensland, apparently mutilated stingrays, at least ten, have washed up on on the coastal waters as apparently people are retaliating against the species that killed Steve Irwin. Conservationists who worked with Steve Irwin uh, have been swift to condemn any form of retaliation against the animal kingdom for his death, pointing out that cutting the tails off of a normally placid fish conflicts with Irwin's conservationist beliefs. We're going to talk a little bit about that uh, subject of what happened to uh, Mr. Steve Irwin on next week's show. Uh... A former colleague of mine from medical school days, now an orthopedic surgeon, once uh, suffered a stingray barb through the lower extremity. And I think we'll have some interesting insight to share with you on, uh, you know, what to do to avoid such a calamity in your own life. We'll also hear from our own uh, producer here, Mr. Edward McMillan, who is a licensed commercial diver and can, uh, can shed some light on this as well. But at any rate, that's it for the good, the bad, and the ugly. All right, let's, uh, let's go to the mailbox at this point in the program and note that we were pleasantly surprised on last week's show to find out that someone podcasts uh, this program while taking the electric train into Manchester, UK. That was listener John H. Uh, we're further surprised, pleasantly surprised, to discover that we're heard in Serbia was because I got the following email. Hello, Douglas. Good format. Great show. Like it. Usually I listen delayed because of the time zone difference of about nine hours. Tony from Nice, Serbia. I wrote him back asking uh, how it is he found our show, and this is what he said. Fifteen years ago, I read an interview with Thin White Rope, then in the 90s with DJ Shadow, and then the aughts with the, well, three exclamation points. I'm not sure how that's said. Tony noted that all of them mentioned the radio station in Davis, that created their taste in music. Well, when I finally got my DSL, I started to explore. KDVS has a lot of interesting music, and for my taste in the free world, uh, that's it. There's nothing like it in the big media like CNN, etc. Tony goes on, I like KDVS. Radio Parallax is something that in Serbia doesn't exist anymore. Believe it or not, even in Serbia, almost all the media are now racing for sponsorship money, ratings and pieces of market shares, just stupid programs. Corporate Serbia, believe it or not, with the average income of about $250, the whole picture of how things are is miserable. 
Even our famous freedom fighter like RTV station B92 is turning to idiotic sitcoms, commercials, and soap operas and daily politics. But that's the way in transition. Of course, you know, if you listen to this program every week, and we certainly hope that you do, we talk about national and local politics frequently, and I, I wouldn't expect necessarily a listener in, uh, in the Balkans to, uh, to be able to relate to some of what we talk about, but Tony said the following. I like how you treat Mr. Bush by his own words. I mean, stupid or not, the guy sure is loyal to his friends and on the corporate level, same thing's true in my country. Prime Minister and the government don't allow competition of foreign companies to come to Serbia. So, monopolies rule here. The biggest companies are run by managers and tycoons from Slobodan Milosevic era, and democratic governments protect their businesses and monopolies. Well, Tony, we certainly appreciate your, your feedback, and we'd like to again point out to our audiences that, uh, you know, you, you get something here on KDVS that you just can't find in too many other places. And this is recognized not just here in the U.S., but in Europe as well. So please, uh, keep, keep your emails coming to info at radioparallax.com. We'd uh, like you to share uh, your opinions with us and the listening audience as to how we can make this a better show. And I must say, when we hear from someone from uh, the former Yugoslavia, like Tony, uh, we, we learn something. Especially if you're listening overseas, please. Drop us a line. I'd like to take a moment also to thank my fellow DJs who do some just outstanding music here on, on this station. The kind of thing, again, you can't hear just anywhere. This is a public affairs program, one of about maybe, I guess it's about 12 hours a week we do here on KDVS. But the rest is primarily music and the kind of thing that certainly has a broad appeal. As promised on last week's show, our good friend Dr. Andy Jones joins us now to talk about some poetry, something we do once in a while on this program, which he does every week. Welcome back, Dr. Andy. Thank you, Doug. I appreciate you accommodating my schedule and also accommodating poetry on Radio Parallax. Well, I, I got to say, uh, I, and I'm, I'm certainly not a poetry expert, but even I remember this one from studying it b- back in high school. Someone said this is a kind of a, a very timely poem to be thinking about. I guess a lot of people are sending it around on the web. We should remind people we're talking about William Butler Yeats's The Second Coming. It's a prophetic poem. It promises to uh, give us some hint of what calamitous future lays before us. And as is the case from, uh, with all sorts of uh, predictions from Nostradamus to William Butler Yeats, uh, it's kind of like a fortune cookie. You can somehow make it applicable to your own life right now. And that's what people are, are doing. Well, I'm looking at it. Of course, it starts out very dramatic, turning and turning in the widening gyre. The falcon cannot hear the falconer. Things fall, fall apart. The center cannot hold. And it sort of sets, a, sets quite a gloomy mood. It sets a gloomy mood. And, of course, many people right now are associating it with uh, the Bush administration, the fact that... Uh, Many people see the the current endeavors in Iraq to have no center. The next line, mere anarchy is loosed upon the world, blood-dimmed tide is loosed, and everywhere the ceremony of innocence is drowned. Many people see this as referring to any sort of conflict, but especially one where someone hoped to impose order and instead has inspired anarchy of, of all sorts. And, of course, one of our fellow DJs, I, th- I think it might be Bill Wagman. I'm, I 
drawing a blank at the moment, but he, he often includes the next lines in email he sends, sends out. The best lack all conviction, while the worst are full of passion and intensity. Certainly words true today, arguably true today. Arguably true. I think uh, perhaps more true before Katrina, when uh, Bush's uh, bellicose manner seemed unassailable in Congress and in the court of public opinion. But now, when the poem says the best lack all conviction, at least the best are beginning to grumble <laughs> and are looking forward to the November election when they might be able to do something about those worst who are full of passionate intensity. Yes, indeed. Something that uh, I think both of us will be looking at in, in the months to come here in our public affairs uh, shows on KDVS. You know, the second half of the poem, about the second coming, I'll, I'll share some of it with, with your listeners. Surely some revelation is at hand. Surely the second coming is at hand. The second coming, hardly are those words out when a vast image out of spiritus mundi troubles my sight. And this image, another reason that this uh, poem was circulated widely in 1999, is that... Uh, it was 2,000 years, supposedly, since the birth of Christ. Mm -hmm. Many people uh, of religious inclinations were worried about the, uh, the second coming, the coming of the Antichrist. And, of course, the rest of us were worried that at uh, Y2K, all of our computers and the society that depends upon computers would uh, fall. Both crowds were, of course, disappointed, I'm happy to say. But I must say, it, it echoes today, too, because it, clearly a lot of Christian evangelicals and, and Jewish fundamentalists in Israel are sort of uh, looking at some sort of apocalyptic uh, end of the world. And, you know, Newt Gingrich said World War III has already started. And this okay. particular poem uh, goes back to uh, the beginnings, the roots of Christianity, talking about Bethlehem, in that it, it brings together uh, a kind of uh, fear of, uh, of what this new age would bring us, as well as uh, remembrance of uh, the baby who was rocked to sleep in, uh, in the manger. Can I read the rest of the poem? I, I just love it, and I, I hope that it will fill your listeners with passionate intensity. Please. Hardly are those words out when a vast image out of spiritus mundi troubles my sight. Somewhere in sands of the desert, a shape with lion body and the head of a man a gaze as blank and pitiless as the sun is moving its slow thighs, while all about it real shadows of the indignant desert birds. The darkness drops again, but now I know that twenty centuries of stony sleep were vexed to nightmare by a rocking cradle. And what rough beast, its hour come round at last, slouches towards Bethlehem to be born. It, uh, it always c creates an image of me of the Sphinx coming to life with a great sense of just sort of ominous foreboding. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's a haunted poem. It's one that would have made Edgar Allan Poe smile, and it, uh, it makes us worry about what new evils are being hatched in uh, faraway deserts. Well, of course, we would encourage everyone to go out and take a look and, and read this poem again. And, of course, every week to turn in your show where you talk about this on a regular basis. I talk about poetry every week, and I've actually got a, a recording of William Butler Yeats, who died 70 years ago. I've got a recording of him uh, reading his poetry. Oh, excellent. Dr. Andy, thanks for... Uh 
uh, elucidating some some areas of uh, of the language where we're a little bit weak ourselves. Well, thank you very much, Doug. I always appreciate hearing from you and uh, spreading the good word of poetry. All righty. All right. Take care. That was Dr. Andy Jones of Dr. Andy's Poetry and Technology Hour, which can be heard every week, Wednesdays, 5 o'clock. All right, let us, uh, let us talk in our second segment today about the fact that this is five years post-September 11th, 2001. Just want to close this segment by noting, uh, as we were at dinner the other night, that when Jimmy Carter was president, the hostage crisis in Iran was something they led the nightly news with. It was day 122 of the hostage crisis where 44 Americans were being held by the fundamentalist Islamic regime in Iran. And yet here it is five years after the attack by al-Qaeda in the United States, and we've never seen an Osama count. But if you are keeping track, five years represents 1,825 days of Osama being on the loose. Let's talk about that in our second segment. Stay tuned. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax on KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento. <laughs> 